Hey, it's... We take one victory after another. All right, I'm switching. I'm switching. Okay, all right. Well, it's, uh, it's my um, real... I'm excited. And I'm trying not to say pastoral things. You know, pastors say it's a joy, a privilege, you know, to slip into your midst and things like that. You know, they, they say weird things, eerily weird things. Um, but I'm so excited to be able to uh, just share God's word with you today in Pastor Brent's absence as he is in Guam. Coming home this week, which I know the church is going to be so thrilled to have the whole Wagner family back, but it's my, it's, yeah, I think you should be shouting, yeah. It's my, it's, a, it's really my privilege today to be able to share God's word with you today. If you'll turn in the book of Psalm to the 23rd chapter, or if you um, can go on our, on our app, but the Bible app and look for our event, you'll find the scriptures there that I'm going to share. You can also make your own notes and, make, and, and, put, and save it for yourself. And there's the QR code. If you just uh, point your camera to that it, and you have the app, it will take you right to our page for the day. Today I'm going to be sharing with you from the 23rd Psalm, which is a psalm that is probably the most well-known among at least American church people. People know the 23rd Psalm. Probably the most beloved, probably the most well-quoted, the most familiar. And many people can either quote it exactly verbatim or get it pretty close. Yet, while it's well known, it might be that we, through its familiarity, overlook it. Sometimes we do that. We, we have something that we, we know so well, that's so familiar to us, that we just kind of go, well, I've heard that before, or I know all about that. And as I uh, was given this opportunity, they, uh, uh, Brent said to me, I'd like you to preach in July, and I'd like you to pick a psalm. I said, well, there's only 151 of them. Uh, <laughs> And I said, my first concern is, is I don't want to uh, work for one and then find out that the guy ahead of me preaches it. Like I, I said to Randy when I, when I picked him up at the airport, what song are you preaching on? Because I still had time to, to just dump him back on the plane, you know, and send him back home. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I was able to kind of reserve this one for myself to share with you. Because as I was reading it over and meditating on it, this thought hit me. This is something that we may be overlooking the, the, some important aspects, some applications for our lives. And so today I hope that this psalm gets a new meaning for you, a new depth that maybe becomes a, a, a new guide for you. Uh, it's not just for times of trouble. seems like this psalm, uh, as through the years I've preached lots of funerals, people will often say, would you mind reading the 23rd Psalm? And I'm always thrilled to do so. But let's not relegate it to someone's death. It's not just about going to heaven. It's actually more of a psalm is about living life and how to live life and how to live in relationship to our good shepherd. So let's go to that word today. Let's go to Psalm chapter 23. We're going to start with the first verse. I'm going to, just to let you know where we're going today, I'm going to break this down verse by verse, and then we're going to talk about some application, Okay. So, verse by verse, starting with the first verse. David said that the Lord was his shepherd. And he was about to reveal to the reader or the person who was uh, reciting this poem or song uh, the truths of God being his personal shepherd. And the first thing he pointed out was the provision of God. He said in verse number one, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He says, as God is my leader, as God is in control of my life, I will not be in want. He's saying that the sheep of God's pasture have nothing lacking in their lives. Absolutely nothing. To, to, to be out of want, to not have want, means that there's no unmet need. Now, that doesn't mean that everything I want, I receive. Because some of the things I want are not my needs. You know, I want... A $75,000 aluminum fishing boat. I don't need one. I want one. I, I want a big four-door diesel pickup. I don't need one. I've got a Mazda. <laughs> I don't need 
a mansion on this earth. There are so many things that I don't need. And God never said here, I'm going to give you all your wants. He says, I'm going to make sure all your needs are met. You will have no want, no unmet need in your life. In this life, he has made himself our provider. Everything you've got in your life that is meeting a need came from God. And we make a mistake sometimes of thinking about our work, our intellect, our investment, the risks we took, the things that we've done. But remember this, all of those were done through the abilities of God in our lives. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, God, it says, And God is able to give you more than you need, so that you will always have all that you need for yourselves, and more than enough for every good cause. So God is amply putting everything we need into our lives and making sure we have enough to share with other people as well. He's not only providing for our needs in this life, but he's providing for our needs in heaven as well. In heaven, nobody will be without. Nobody will be needing extra support. God will be caring for us in heaven as well. And the Bible speaks about, in Revelation 22, and I won't take time to read it all, about the river of life that flows down the middle of the city coming right out from God's throne that provides food for everyone, healing for the nations. We don't even need to have electric lights or any kind of light because God himself is the light. Every need will be met for eternity. And he knows those needs better than we know them. And one of the things we're going to learn from this psalm is, is that we don't know what we don't know. I don't, need, I don't even know all the things I need. Some of the things I need haven't even become aware of, I haven't even become aware of yet, but God is still working to meet those. Jesus said that, the, that, that sometimes the things that we ask for, he gives us before we even thought to ask. Now, he knows our needs, as I said, more than we do because we don't even know how to ask for the right things. Some of the things he gives us are things like this. He makes us lie down in good places. That's a need that most of us don't even think about. I need to lie down. I need to have a place of spiritual rest. I need to, I need to have a place of spiritual rejuvenation in my life. He understands that we need that. In verse 2, it says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He understands our makeup, how you're wired, emotionally what you need, physically what you need, relationally what you need. He knows you that intimately. He understands our weaknesses. He knows our vulnerabilities. He knows where we might trip and fall. And sometimes the good shepherd, in knowing those things, seeks to slow us down. How many of you would say, you don't have to raise your hand, but you can on behalf of your spouse if they're here, that that, that person needs to slow down. Yeah, sometimes we need to slow down. He knows that we tend to live a hectic, frantic pace. I'm one of those people. I live a frantic pace. I am always going. I've been retired now for about four or five months, and my wife said to me the other day, she's looking forward to us getting a day off. <laughs> I said, I'm retired. You've got twice the man and half the income. What are you concerned about, you know? She, she said, we're always just going like crazy. There's always a project with you. There's always something out there, something to do. I'm one of those people who needs to slow down. Maybe you are too. Maybe your career has you just wound so tight, your education. Maybe it's your uh, recreational pursuits. It could be all kinds of things that just have you going at a frantic pace. That kind of pace leaves us spiritually wrung out. There can't be room for a frantic lifestyle and a growing spirit in the same person. It just doesn't coexist. There has to be times where we allow the good shepherd to slow us down. Like David said, he makes me lie down beside 
quiet waters. You notice he didn't, he didn't say, he makes me lay down next to a raging river. You know, he says, he wants me to slow down, to quiet myself. Because we need time for spiritual growth. We need time for rejuvenation. Some of us don't have time for ministry because we're just too frantic. When opportunities arise and things come, we say to ourselves, well, maybe there'll be a point in my life someday when I can slow down enough that I can actually do that. Chris and I have found something interesting in our lives. As, as I don't have the rigors of pastoring this church or a church or that kind of ministry, that we're actually getting to know our neighbors. Uh, we're having conversations in the yard. We've been able to pray with neighbors because we've slowed down a little bit. In spite of what I said, you know, actually what's happened is, to tell you the truth, it's while I was doing a project in the yard, neighbors came by, and so then we got to talk with the neighbors. <laughs> but do you hear what I'm saying? Our frantic pace is working against the good shepherd's plan for our lives. So he makes us slow down. Sometimes we don't have time to build right relationships because, again, it's so frantic. Relationships that are closest to us. Uh, is, is, is the relationship in your familiar unit what it should be? Is your family, if you're married, are you building and strengthening the relationship with your spouse? If you have children or grandchildren, are you investing in them, slowing down to have time for them? Are you building relationships with friends in the body of Christ? Are you saying, I don't have time for things like life groups and small groups and Bible study groups and all these things or because I'm so busy and I've got so much going. Nobody ever said at the end of their life, boy, am I glad I kept so busy. But what people do say at the end of their lives is, I'm so glad I built relationships. Those kind of moments let us know what really counted. He makes us lie down because it's good for us. He sees beyond the outer appearances and surface indicators and goes to the deepest part of our needs. In verse 3, the first part, David says, he restores my soul. Now, if God can restore his soul, that must mean that his, store, his soul was failing. That his soul was suffering. He says, my heart, which is what the soul means, my heart needed refreshing, and God refreshed my heart. Today, some of you may have come to church, or you may have tuned in today on the internet with the hope that you would find some refreshment for your soul, that through worship and praise and through the word, you would be refreshed in soul. If you did, you came to the right place because that's exactly what God wants to do. He wants to refresh and restore your soul because the world is tough on your soul. The world beats up the soul. The world hurts our emotions. The world strangles us, reduces the size of our soul, turns us from a lush, wonderful grape into a dried-up little old raisin. <laughs> By the way, raisin cookies are a deceptive lie. <laughs> you think they're a chocolate chip cookie, and then what do you got? You got a dried-up grape in there, you know? There's a lot of people that are saying, hey, man, brother, you are on it now. <laughs> Come on. You buy a plate full of them, you know, the, the cookies that you got all the varieties on them. What ones are left at the end? <laughs> you know it. You know it. Okay. See, I've been pent up. can't preach. got to get this stuff out. <laughs> all right. Moving on. Life is so filled with concerns. It seems like we just go from concern to concern. Those hurt our soul. They can be soul-crushing. Life is filled with attacks. And we live in a time where the shepherd needs to come into our hearts and assess our real true condition and say, Listen, you need me to minister to you. I want you to lie down here so I can restore your soul. And you may not even be able to faithfully and honestly assess the condition of your soul. Matter of fact, Jeremiah spoke to that when he said this, The heart, which is another word for the soul, is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. 
who can understand it? Then God says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. God is the one who can truly assess the condition of your soul. And today, I would hope that you will find yourself coming into a greater relationship with a good shepherd who will be able today to help put you on a path of soul restoration. This isn't just a psalm for a funeral. This is a psalm for living. He not only does this for our soul, but he guides us in our life in the paths that we take. Verse 3, the second part says, He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Keep the word his namesake in mind. That'll come up later. But think of this just for a moment. He guides me in paths of righteousness. He did not say here, he guides me so I can become righteous. He's already made us righteous, but and then he helps us walk in that righteous path. He puts us on a path that will take us to righteous ends. What kind of path are you on? If you continue the path you're on, where will it lead? If you continue the path you're on, will it lead to destruction? Will it lead to divorce? If you continue the path that you're on, will it lead to soul, soul, soul pain? If you continue the path you're on, will it lead you to greater exploits in God? Will that path that you're on take you to for, uh, greater insights, a greater ministry, a greater impact? You see, the path that you're on takes you to a destination. And David said, God is putting me on righteous paths. Maybe today your goal in being here would be, Lord, put me on a new path. Put me on a path that is a righteous one that will take me to the righteous ends that you have in mind for me. You can compare that to the crooked path. The Bible speaks about a crooked path quite a bit. In Psalm, excuse me, in Proverbs 10, 9, the Bible speaks about one of those paths. It says, people with integrity walk safely, but those who follow, follow crooked paths will slip and fall crooked path goes off on its own. We're going to see more about that kind of path here in a moment. It's a human, human tendency to follow crooked paths, to kind of wander, to kind of go our own way, to just go with wherever the wind is blowing at the moment. The shepherd's role is to point us onto the right path. And he is with us when that path takes us through all kinds of darkness and uncertainty. If there's one thing that's certain about life, life is not certain. That there will be uncertain times. There will be difficult times. And David says, and this is a very well-known portion of this psalm, he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Now, specifically here, the reader would understand this because Israel, where the sheep were raised, had, had canyons. And when the shepherd would take the flock from one grazing field to another, sometimes it would take them through that canyon. Those canyons would be with steep walls, and there would be dark places where the sun wasn't shining. And the sheep had to go through those places, which were rather scary for them, compared to the clear, well-marked paths. And the sheep had to understand that the shepherd knew that path, even though it was shrouded in darkness. Even though it was scary for them, if they kept their eye on the shepherd, they knew they would get out on the other side and everything would be fine. And David says sometimes God has to lead his people, his sheep, through paths that are shrouded in darkness, that seem scary for us, but, are, but the shepherd is at complete peace with because he is with us. Nobody would argue, I don't think, with the thought that we live in dark times. Cities under attack. Politics that's just so nasty. Uh, it's, uh, fearful things happening around us. You know, we've just been through a pandemic. Uh, people are overcome, many of them, with fear. But the shepherd has never left us. The shepherd never will. And although the path may be shrouded in some places with shadows and darkness and uncertainty for us, he is always sure of where we're going. And the plan is to take us to the other side. Now, in those kind of times, he acts as our protector and our guide. He's a corrector whenever we're not doing things right. Verse 23, or chapter 23, verse 4 says, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
That's also a really, really well-known part of the scripture. What does it mean? The rod was a weapon. It was a club that the shepherd would use to protect his flock. And it was a long staff with a big ball heavy on the end. And he could, do, he could use that in a variety of ways. A skilled shepherd could throw it like a missile. So if, the, if, if a wolf or a lion or a bear was coming at the flock and it was a distance up, he could get that back, throw it, and the, the heavy end would go first, and he could hit that thing if he was a good shot. But he also could use it for close-up combat, and he could use it in a place where the enemy was very close. David referred to his, uh, his, his shepherd's rod in a couple of times. First of all, when he went before Goliath, actually Goliath mentioned it because David is coming before him, running toward Goliath, and Goliath says, are you coming after me with a stick? That was, that was the shepherd's rod in his hand. When he was preparing for that and trying to get Saul to give him permission to go fight Goliath, listen to this report that David gave. He says, when a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club. That's his staff. And he says, to rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. That's just a scene I'd like to see. <laughs> he, gets, he gets that wolf by the nap of the neck and he says, Come after my sheep, will you? I will not <laughs> And then he takes that lifeless things and makes that could make mom a nice coat. He did it to a bear. He did it to a lion. And if an earthly shepherd boy can do that for his sheep, how much more will our God protect us with his staff? He is our defender. He is there for us through everything, through every attack of the enemy. And Paul was right when he said, I see Satan is under your feet because God is our protector. David said, my experience is, is I'm not walking this life alone. Well, the shepherd had a second implement, and that was the staff. Now, the staff is what we think of as a shepherd's crook. It was lighter weight, and it was used to correct the sheep. The rod was used on the enemies. The staff was used on the shepherd's sheep. He could use that as a hook to bring a sheep back who was starting to wander off. Hey, this way, buddy. He could have used it as a prod for one that wasn't moving along fast enough. Give you a little nudge in the behind. He could, he could use it to separate some sheep that weren't getting along. You over there. You over here. He would use that to set boundaries for the sheep. God in his love for the sheep keeps us on track. He gives us boundaries. Sometimes we complain, I don't want boundaries. I want to do what I want to do and go where I want to go. And he goes, oh, there's a cliff over there. There's an enemy over there. There's a poisonous plant over there. There's good pasture over there. And he uses that to move us along. God didn't save us to just sit. He's leading us into good things. And the rod and the staff are there for us. And in all of this and through all of this, he is providing abundance in our lives. The fifth verse says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Much has been said about this a table in the presence of my enemies. Then in the middle of all of the uncertainty, all of the violence, all of the attacks of life, God says, let's Let's just sit down together. He protects us in the middle of all of that. And then there's some really neat allusions here. He says, you anoint my head with oil. That's not the anointing of ministry. Instead, that's, that's the recognition of importance. A guest who was invited to an important person's table for dinner would have their head anointed when they came. They would literally style their hair for them with oil. And then everyone who saw that would go, there is a person of prominence at this banquet. God says, I'm elevating you. 
And finally, he says, my cup overflows. It just simply means the party never ends. God says, I'm just going to keep pouring the blessings on into your life. Even in the face of trouble, we are his anointed. We are his favored ones. Now, this is not a momentary blessing. It's not something that just comes once or twice in our life, but it's something that he expects that we would live in in a continual experience. In verse 6, he says, Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Say, all the days of my life. Not an occasional time when we're having a special outpouring of God. Not on that occasional hilltop experience, but all the days of my life, every day. When you wake up tomorrow, and the day after that, and the day after that, and the week after that, and the month after that, and the year after that, you wake up and you can say, today is yet another day of God pouring out his leadership blessing upon me. He is my shepherd, and all the days of my life, I can expect expect and experience this from him every day. Every day. And he says, and it's just going to continue on into heaven. He says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's interesting to me, that phrase makes this a funeral favorite, which it should be. But the rest of it should make it an everyday favorite. All the days of my life. Why does God do all this? Why would he care for us so much? Recently, Chris and I have said this in our devotions more than once. We said, why, God, would you care about us? Teeny little tiny planet in the middle of all that you have made with the people on it who have been so inconsistent and so rebellious, yet you care for us that you gave us your son who does all of these blessings that we see that you pour out your benefits. Why us? He answered it in verse number three. He said he does it for his name's sake. Because he said from the beginning, I'm going to do this for you. And he is not a man that he would lie or change his mind. He says, because I said it and my name is upon you, you can bank on it. He doesn't do it for your sake. He doesn't do it because you earned it. I don't get it because I earned it. We don't get it because we're Americans. We don't get it because we're Pentecostals. We don't get it because we're Assembly of God. We get it because it's his name on it, and it's his promise. And he can't change it. He won't change it for his name's sake. So to get the most... From the message of this psalm, we need to understand the Bible's take on shepherds. I'm going to share with you three levels of shepherding from the Bible. The first one is in the Old Testament, God is identified as himself as the shepherd of Israel. And as a matter of fact, in Ezekiel 34, Ezekiel, speaking from the prophetic word of God, names almost everything in Psalm 23. Ezekiel lived centuries after David. But he said, this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. Later he says, as a, sheep looks, as a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. Later he says, I will rescue them from all the places where they are scattered. Another place he says, I will, I will tend them in good pasture. Another place I will have them lie down. Later I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. And he ends by saying, I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. It sounds just like David. Because God was saying, this is the kind of shepherd I am for my people. But then we came to the new covenant and Jesus becomes the great shepherd. It's prophesied in Ezekiel 34 as well. There, God says, I will place over them, his people, one shepherd. My servant David, and he's speaking of David's offspring, Jesus, he says, he will tend them and he will tend them and be their shepherd. Jesus took up that mantle when he said this. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And later in in the chapter, he says, I know my sheep and they know me. I laid down my life for my sheep. We've gone from 
God being our shepherd for us, that Jesus is sacrificing himself for us. It's taken it to a whole nother level. And when you receive Christ as Savior, you have received into your life the leadership of the good shepherd who lays down his life for us. He sacrifices himself for us. And he says, and my sheep know me. It's so easy to miss the point of this song. To just look at it with some sort of sentimental lens and say, oh, this makes me feel so good. Or this helps me at this time of loss. But instead of it being something to look at through a lens of sentimentality, how about looking at it through the lens of a compass that says, this is the direction for my life. This is what I should aspire for and live for and be aware of in my life. That the focus is all the days of my life I am to live in this relationship. A relationship with God, to live in his blessing and to walk with him consistently. As I first began to meditate on this scripture to preach to you today, one word came out to me as key for me in understanding this psalm. And it's a surprising word. It's a very short word. It's the word is. The Lord is. Is is not does not have a great Hebrew etymology. You know, you can't go and look at the etymology of is. You know, what does it really mean? Let's look at the Hebrew background. You know what is means? It means is. It means consistently to be there. To be to this is what you are. The Lord is. He said, The Lord is my shepherd. Every day, every part of my experience, the Lord is my shepherd. It's a personal relationship, not just for all of mankind, not just for all believers. The Lord is my shepherd. So when we're looking at this today, we're not just saying this is what kind of God God is, but this is what kind of relationship I can have with God, that the Lord will consistently be my shepherd and I will consistently be his sheep. It's based on a relationship covenant. It's not on again, off again. It's not, well, today he'll be my shepherd. Or tomorrow he will be my shepherd. Or, or today I will be his sheep. Or tomorrow maybe I'll be his sheep. But I'm going to be kind of booked up for the rest of the week so I won't be his sheep then. But I will definitely be his sheep on Sunday if I can get to church. <laughs> is means is. Is means it's not changeable, malleable. It's always there. Now, people who are the sheep have a tendency to wander away from the shepherd. I can tell you sometime an interesting story about sheep. I told somebody in the first service, asked me sometime about my experience with sheep. It's the closest I ever got to being put in jail. You can ask me about it sometime. Now you're going, I want to hear that story. I really wasn't going to go to jail, probably just heavily fined. Anyway, <laughs> people have a tendency to wander away from sheep. Sheep do not just say, hey, let's group up and not go our own way. Sheep are always wanting to wander off, do their own thing. This is why we have fences around sheep. If you go north up the Willamette Valley, the sheep aren't just left to, to do whatever they want. They'll go out in the middle of I-5. Sheep go their own way. Isaiah said, all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. And there are consequences to wandering. Those consequences are real. A sheep who wanders is susceptible to attack. A wolf or a fox or a coyote or a big mean dog or whatever is not going to go attack the group. He's going to go after the loner. When a Christian wanders away from Jesus, they are susceptible to Satan's attack. When a Christian wanders away from fellowship, they're susceptible as well. Consequences of wandering include starvation and thirst because the sheep, again, take it from me, are stupid. 
They won't go find water. You hear some animals can smell water and they'll go find it. Not a sheep. A sheep needs to be led. A consequence of wandering is the loss of production. A sheep who is wandering is not making wool. It's not, it's not contributing its wool. I read about a sheep, oh, crumb, Chris can't remember the name of it, in Australia or New Zealand that they found that had been missing for years. And its wool had grown and grown and grown until the thing was like a blimp. And, it, and when they finally shaved it off, there was like 100 pounds of wool on this thing. He had deprived its owner for, from wool for all these years. A sheep that has wandered away has lost its productivity. It's not bearing babies. It's not giving milk. It's not doing any of the things that it would normally do. And I suppose one of the greatest dangers for a sheep is that when they wander away, they just might not come back at all. As a matter of fact, if you wander away from Jesus, you are running the risk of just not coming back at all. That you might just go your way and just end it that way. Today you can make the choice to make the Lord your shepherd, to enter into that is relationship. I'm going to tell you something. Not even being saved necessarily means the Lord is your shepherd. You might be a wandering Christian. You might be a rebellious one. You might be one that says, I don't want correction. I don't want boundaries. Or it might be that you've never been in that relationship with him at all. You've never even given your heart to Christ. And you need a shepherd. You need Jesus. I want to read to you today Jesus' words about his own search for you. He says, suppose one of you have a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he will joyfully put it on his shoulders and go home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Get this. Right now in heaven, God is more excited about somebody coming to him than all of us sheep sitting here already saved. He's excited. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that the angels in heaven observe the celebration of God when a sinner comes home. And today, I want to give you the opportunity to come to the shepherd of your soul, to come and to be saved, to come into a relationship of being found. This May, a man named Harry Burley went up near Ben to go fishing, got in his pickup, said to his wife, goodbye, I'm going to take the boat and go fishing. Went up and went fishing, and when he got up there, uh, it was kind of windy on the lake. It wasn't doing well, so he loaded the boat up and started home. And then he thought, hey, I know where there's a lake I can hike into. I'll just take a quick hike up the trail here, parked the, parked the truck, went up the trail, and wasn't seen for 17 days. They were looking for Harry. His wife immediately called for help. She called the sheriff's office and said, we've got to find my husband. He's 69 years old. He's, he's out there somewhere. I don't know what happened to him. And they began to look. Over 100 volunteers through time volunteered to come and look for Harry. And it didn't go well for him. You see, that night that he left, it started to get dark, and he couldn't remember which fork he took on the path, and he didn't take anything with him. He said he knew better, but he didn't take water, he didn't take food, he didn't take supplies, he didn't have stuff for being outside. And he started realizing, I'm in trouble, I'm probably going to be here overnight. But one night turned into two, and then three, and four. Things were going bad for him. He couldn't find anything to drink. He couldn't find food. He tried to start a fire, and he worked at it for days, and finally got a little fire going, but he was getting so weak he couldn't go get fuel, and the fire went out. And he began to think, I'm going to die up here in the mountains. The people who were looking for him found his pickup. They go, well, he can't be too far. He's, here's his truck. And then they found his fishing box and his fishing pole up the trail, but again, they couldn't find him. Harry was getting desperate. He got so thirsty, he began to drink his, own, drink his own urine. He got so hungry, he would dig up bugs around the roots of trees and eat the bugs. Some mishaps happened to him. He was trying to get up high, so that he thought, maybe I can see where to go. And he's climbing up onto a high ridge, a high peak, and he fell off, and he tumbled down and hit his head, got a concussion. Also, while he was out walking around, he hurt his ankle really bad, and he could hardly walk. And he began to think, this is it. I'm going to die. 
all the while people were looking. And on the 17th day, as he was lying there, barely able to move, he said, I heard a voice bellowing my name. Harry! Harry! He barely had any strength to call back, but he called, I'm here! I'm here! And he said, a man approached him, walked up to him, said, Harry, we've been looking for you. He says, I looked into that man's face, and he says, I've never seen such eyes of compassion in my whole life. And he said, when he scooped me up and, they, and, 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 and started caring for me, and then pretty soon came the men with the stretchers, and they bore me out. He said, the spark of life returned to my life. They took him here to Riverbend Hospital where he spent 12 days in intensive care, three more days in a regular room before he could be reunited with his family. But he said, now I have that spark of life again. You're lost and wandering. You can't help yourself, and it's only going to get worse and worse the further you are from God, the further you are away from your shepherd. But I want you to know that he's walking among the, uh, the, the wilderness. He's looking for you, and he's calling your name like he did to Harry. Harry! Harry! He needs you to return that call. Here I am. Because he will pick you up, as Jesus said, put you on his shoulders and carry you home and nurse you back. And put you in a place you've never been before. I want you to bow your heads with me today. I'm wondering how many people would say, Pastor Todd, I am lost. Perhaps you're a Christian. You gave your heart to Christ. You prayed a prayer. But you have been resisting his leadership. You've gone your own way. Or you've allowed life to just strangle things out of you until you aren't finding places of rest and, re and, and, and rejuvenation and soul health. And today, you say, I need the shepherd of my soul to take control in my life. Or perhaps you've never even asked Jesus to be your Savior, and today you're acknowledging, I need salvation and I need a soul shepherd. I need him in my life. And today, you would like to pray that prayer. The Bible says we were all like sheep, but now we have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. And I want us to pray a prayer that is actually found in Psalm 119 where David prayed this. He said, I have wandered away like a lost sheep. Come and find me, for I have not forgotten your commands. Would you pray that prayer with me now? In your own heart, if you're at home, pray this prayer with me here in the room. Father, I come to you now. I need a shepherd. I need salvation. Please forgive me of my waywardness, my willfulness. Forgive me for letting my soul be strangled. I ask you to come and control me, lead me, guide me to places of growth, bring me again health and vitality. I will follow you, my shepherd. I will not stray from your voice. Amen. With your head still bowed and your eyes closed, how many people today, in some manner or another, you just prayed that prayer? Would you raise your hand right now? God bless you. How many more? God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. I hope some of you at home also prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart. In a few moments, Pastor Ty is going to come. He's going to ask everybody to fill out their connection slips. If you just prayed that prayer in any way, please indicate that so that Ty and Brent and Donnie can reach out to you and, and help minister you back into the fold and into a vital place with Christ. You can look up here, everybody. I actually have one more point. This is the bonus part of the message. Okay? Because this also not only says something to us as individuals, as some, this scripture speaks to us as a church. I'm not just talking about the Church Universal. I want to talk to New Life Church, okay? I'm not your pastor, but I'm definitely a concerned member. And I, I, I want to share with you something today that perhaps maybe somebody who's not the pastor can say even more effectively. And that is this. The church in America wants to be shepherdless. 
People want to live their own way, their own path, making their own decisions instead of letting God work through the structure he has made of giving every church a pastor. Every believer needs a pastor. Every believer needs a human shepherd in their life. Please don't give me this, well, Jesus is my shepherd, I don't need anybody. That's not Bible. Here's what the Bible says about that, that, God, that Jesus, upon his ascension, com- commissioned his apostles and those that followed them to be shepherds to the church and to take up the role of a human flesh shepherd in our lives. I need a shepherd. You need a shepherd as well. This church needs to follow our shepherds. He called Peter before he left this earth to be shepherds to his church. And Paul commanded church leaders to act as shepherds for the people. In Acts 20, 28, he said, Keep watch over yourselves and over all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers be shepherds of the church. Wow. The the leaders of churches, the pastors of churches have been called to be the shepherds of the church members. John Piper said this about churches and shepherds. Listen to this. He said, this is the picture that God has ordained, that flocks exist and shepherds exist, and that shepherds have accountability for our particular flock and that the flock should submit joyfully to its particular shepherd. This is the structure that podcasting pastors cannot replace. God has ordained that every person should be able to have an identifiable spiritual leader in their lives. They need to know your name and you need to know them so that they can fulfill their responsibilities as a shepherd in your life. This is only one of the many reasons why you should join a church. This is why of one of the many reasons why you should physically come to church if you possibly can. And we understand, and we've said this a million times, we understand if there are physical things that keep you away, but if it's just because it's more comfortable to be at home, then we are not really following our shepherd because he needs to know you and you need to know him. You see, I can sit down and go back to church next Sunday, and I don't care if you're upset with me because I'm not your pastor. (laughs) But hear this. This is God's word, and I'm unashamed to tell you this is God's word. This is why you should join a small group because there are too many people for one pastor. So he's, Ty is leading people to become small group leaders so they can help be under shepherds. Every one of us need people in our lives to submit to the shepherds in our lives. As I'm concluding, the Bible says this in Hebrews 13, 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for you and you they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief. They have responsibility to you. Help them do their job. Okay? Would you stand with me today as I'm going to conclude? I want to challenge you today to be an is person. To be a person who says, I am consistently walking in relationship with the Good Shepherd Christ. And I am consistently walking in relationship to this flock, our church, and to my pastors that God has put into my life. This is who I am. And to do that today, we're going to read the 23rd Psalm. And we're going to do it in a way today that I hope is kind of a, uh, an encouragement to you. I want you to emphasize every pronoun in this song because there's a lot of I, me, that kind of pronouns. So I want you to emphasize those. And as you do, think about how they impact you in your relationship. So um, I want you to do this with, with vigor. I want you to do it with strength. I don't want to have to backtrack and do it a second time. Are you ready? Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd. I think you got it. You got what we're doing now? All right, here we go. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. 
He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley, or darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Can we praise him today? Let's give him a great praise offering, all right? God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. We love you, Lord. Thank you for being our shepherd. Thank you, Lord. Praise your name. There's somebody here, you feel like you've gone down such a path away from Jesus that you can't come back, but he's calling you right now to surrender because he's waiting for you. Right now, I want, I want Tony to stand here with me because he and I are going to agree together. Would you bow your heads? And it might be somebody at home that just heard that word. It might be somebody here that somebody feels like I've just gone too far. There's a point of no return for me. I can just forget it. This isn't going to work for me. Today... Hear the word of the Holy Spirit. He just pinpointed you, and he's saying, don't believe that lie, but this is your moment to come back. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to know who that is. Who is it today? That say, you know, I just thought I was a goner. Come on, let us know. Raise your hand. I know that somebody, this is for you. Might be somebody at home, but we're going to pray right now. I want Tony, you to agree with me. In the name of Jesus, we thank you for the word that you gave today of revelation to Tony. I thank you, God, that you and your love have, have pinpointed this issue, that we are never too far to come back, that the good shepherd will go to any length to bring us back. And so today, I pray that this person, this man or woman who this is for, will hear and respond and now say, it's me, and they'll call out and receive what you have for them today. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. Amen. God bless you. Ty. I don't know about you guys, but I'm so thankful for a God that continues to speak, that continues to search us out, that we're not just hearing about a God that, that people served a long time ago that used to do amazing things, but our God is active right now. I think that's so amazing. As our ushers come forward, I just have a few things I wanted to share. If God impacted you this morning, I would encourage you, write it on your Connect card. We as a staff love to pray for you, and we love to celebrate with you. You'll find a Connect card either in front of you in a chair or you can go to nlcchurch.com slash connect and fill it out there. I so appreciated the sermon today. I had to plug my wife's ears when he said God didn't have a diesel truck for me. I, I know he does, so I just didn't want her to hear that and get confused. We know he does, but I so appreciate Pastor's sermon today that God is not a God that gives up, but he pursues us consistently and that we have a part to play in submitting our lives to him in the local church. Amen. Well, we're going to go ahead and take offering real quick. So as the ushers come forward, let me just pray. God, right now, I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to give. And God, just serve you, showing that you're Lord of our entire life. God, that you're not Lord of the things that are convenient for us, but God, you are Lord of everything. Thank you that you're even the Lord of our wallet and our finances and our security. God, we thank you. In your name I pray. Amen. Go ahead and stand as we sing this last song. I am free to run. I am free to run. I am free to dance. Free to dance. I am free to live for you. I am free to live for you. I am free. Have a great day, church, and remember, we are free and we're